You are now entering Frida's world. Join us as we address various issues facing women of color in the workplace. We'll help you navigate your professional and personal life the Frida way. Whose world is this? It's Frida's world. What's it like? What's it like? Classy and ratchet at the same time. You clatch it. Like you love church music, but you f*** future. That's clatch it. It's Frida's world. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Frida's World. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. And as always, I hope you guys are having a wonderful, wonderful week so far. So today I'm going to be taking off my church hat for a little bit. <laughs> I feel like every every week so far, I don't know. I feel like for the last couple of months, I've I've been I've had a church hat on and I've been coming from a very preachy standpoint. Um, but it's one of those things, for whatever reason, on the Frida's World platform particularly, the spirit just moves. You know, whatever the spirit leads me to say, I say. Um, this is a very spiritual experience for me, Frida's World. And um, sometimes I know I can come off being a little preachy. I haven't had any complaints about it. I was just thinking the other day that I'm always coming from this this point of, I don't know, scripture and and all these other things. And maybe <laughs> maybe I got to tone back a little bit. I don't know. But either way, uh, I'm not going to have a very, very long intro today because I have a very special guest by the name of Krista Newkirk, who is the owner and operator of Eclectic Read Marketing LLC. Krista is going to come on the show and talk a little bit about who she is, what she does. But the main focus of today's show is actually her HBCU experience. And for those who do who do not know what HBCU stands for, it stands for Historically Black Colleges and Universities. And so Krista is a proud graduate of North Carolina A&T. And so she is a co-author in a book that was recently published entitled The HBCU Experience, North Carolina A&T University Second Edition. And so she's gonna talk about um, her personal experience, going to an HBCU and also the process of her writing this, you know, being a co-author on this book and um, what this book is supposed to mean to not just, you know, her and her colleagues, but to those of us who are out here who have no real idea of what an HBCU experience is. Hopefully this book can help educate but also inspire and motivate young children of color, young people of color to attend HBCUs. So you definitely want to keep it locked for that. But before we get into the meat of the show, I still have to say something. <laughs> I still have to give a word of encouragement because I think that that's what really gets us going to the week. You know, I, I released the episodes on Wednesdays for a reason because it is hump day, but I want it to be not just to, oh, it's a hump day, we have a couple days left, but this kind of like midweek point where we get a a jolt of energy, a boost, um, and hopefully some words of encouragement to carry us for the rest of the week. So today, I wanted to talk a little bit about breakthrough. That's what popped into my mind this morning when I thought about what's going to be my motivational um, talk, brief talk <laughs> for today. And it was breakthrough. And I feel like through this COVID-19, um, I really experienced um, a lot of breakthroughs. I've always been somebody who was very introspective. I always knew what my issues were. I always knew, you know, what my faults were. It's just, you know, knowing and, you know, correcting is a different, you know, it's two different things. But I think that 
you know, as somebody who struggles with faith and somebody who is a worry ward, I am acknowledging the fact that I am a worry ward. Um, you know, I just felt like, I don't know, like I would experience breakthroughs throughout my life, but I feel like this season has really taught me the true meaning of what a breakthrough is. And I'm happy to report that with everything that's been going on over the last couple of weeks, couple of months, even I am finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of work, in terms of my personal challenges, in terms of my side projects, I'm actually getting to a point where I'm seeing the light of the tunnel for the longest time. I was not seeing the actual light. I knew that there was a light to be seen at some point, <laughs> but um, I didn't see it. I didn't see the glimmer of hope. It was just more so like my, my mustard seed faith holding on saying, you know, God said, if you keep your faith, it's going to happen. Although I don't know what's going on here. I still don't see the little flicker. But at this point, I think I see more than a flicker. And I am, you know, standing in prime position to receive all of the blessings that I know were, you know, were getting ready to be poured on me. But again, when you're going through dark times, when you're going through periods of uncertainty, it's hard to to even consider that there could be a light at the end of the tunnel. It's difficult. It's not easy. But I know that, you know, it's easier said than done. But I just want you guys all to really just believe that a breakthrough is coming your way, that something is going to change. And it might not be in the way that you want it. It might not be in the way that you expected it. It might not come in the package that you <laughs> anticipated, but a breakthrough is coming. And I'm just encouraging you all to just stand on your faith and, you know, rest on the promise that, you know, we have been brought to this point. Right. And God always says that he will not bring us, you know, this far only to leave us. And so as I am starting to experience um, the blessings and again, I feel like, I mean, God's been blessing me even throughout, you know, the mess, right? But I'm, I feel, I feel the blessings. I see the blessings. I feel the breakthrough. And so I just want you guys to know that, you know, it's coming. <laughs> it might not be, it might not be happening right now, but if you just keep on pressing on, um, you know, the rewards will be there. And, you know, for me, like I said, it's just, it's just wonderful to feel like you're at a point where things are going to work out because every day, whether it's with Frida's World or with Black Ivy Media, with these other things that I'm doing, sometimes I'm like, I don't see the purpose anymore. Or I don't feel like this is going to work. I don't have money to be, you know, wasting or, or spending on hobbies and passion projects like this is supposed to work. Um, and I say that very often, you know, at least once, <laughs> once a week, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe I, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I'm wasting my time. But then, you know, somebody sends me a sex message or I review the body of work and I'm like, no, there's a reason for this. There's a purpose. I just have to hold on. A lot of us are just so used to letting go um, be like right before your breakthrough, you like let go because you can't take it anymore. But I'm encouraging you all to just keep holding on, even if 
you feel as if, you know what, this is it. Like I, I can't anymore. Like this is not going to work. Just hold on. Um, I believe that if it's a situation where you have to let go, God's going to reveal it to you, but don't make that premature decision to let go, whether it be your dreams, your businesses, you know, your relationships, um, just hold on, right? Hold on, trust God. And if you're if you're like me, that's you know, and we struggle with discernment sometimes. We're like, I don't know, is that Jiminy Cricket or is that good Kermit, bad Kermit? Who's talking to us? <laughs> you know, just put that, you know, make that known to God that you know, listen, I don't know who's talking to me right now. I don't know who's giving me this advice. I need your, I need clear direction. I need a clear sign. Um, you know, be that bold with God. He tells you to come to him boldly and ask him for things boldly. And so if you struggle, cause sometimes I struggle, I'm like, I don't know who's talking to me. I don't know if it's good Kermit or bad Kermit. Um, <laughs> you know, make that clear. Either way, I know I said I wasn't going to get on along. Uh, you guys, I don't know. I don't even know why I, I make these disclosures because <laughs> I always get on tangents. But either way, <laughs> hopefully that resonated with at least one person. Um, but we are now on to the meat of the show. Right, everyone. I'm here with my very special guest, Krista Newker. Krista, please say hello. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Krista, it's a pleasure to have you as a guest on this show. I've never formally met you or actually never met you in person, but mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you came highly recommended by Ashley Little, who um, I actually didn't really know until maybe about a week ago via email. Oh, okay. Yeah. And well, she's very generous. I'm thankful for this experience and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yes, definitely. So, Krista, if you could just let the people know a little bit about who you are, what you do, and you're like, what's your background? Yes. So, I am, again, Krista Newkirk. I'm based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and have had over 10 years of marketing experience in various industries. And from my experience, I've really become an advocate for women, mental health, and education those three things being passionate to me because I am a woman um, first and foremost, and then a black woman. So of course that specific lens, mm -hmm. but as you know, being in the black community, we have our own unique um, stigma within mental health and really seeing how that is really the core essence to who we are. Mm -hmm. And so building upon my experiences from family, friends, et cetera, um, to really push education on mental health, but also education in its own entity as really being a pathway for you know, seeking economic success um, and progressing in our in our world. So I've I've done things in that area and I've launched my own marketing company called Eclectic Read Marketing to kind of encompass those experiences to speak life into people products and ideas to reach their full potential because you know in this life it is a journey full of mm -hmm. twists and turns but hopefully you're able to find a solution um, around the corner in business and in life so I think that's a quick snippet about me of course I am a A&T graduate and I have a marketing degree from there and I've completed additional degrees um, in North or in Colorado 
Okay. Well, congratulations on launching your marketing uh, business. I know every time I, I have a woman that comes on the show and they talk about, you know, their entrepreneurial ventures, it makes me very, very happy because, you know, it's something that I think that's needed. And I think your focus, I mean, you said something that was just very, very powerful, just, you know, speaking life into, you know, people and products and ideas. And I think that we need more encouragement uh, in our community when it comes to, you know, the things that we are doing when it comes to ourselves. So I really commend you for that. Thank you. It's, you know, it's a journey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, it is. Now you mentioned you're a, a graduate of A&T. I know uh, a lot of people on the show might not really know what A&T is or where that is. Okay. Yes. So North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University is located in Greensboro, North Carolina, and we are the number one public HBCU in the country, toting many awards well-known in our engineering, psychology, accounting, and other areas. Um, so, yeah, so it's a, one of the well-known HBCUs within the country uh, that has really uplifted and built up specifically African-Americans in our communities, but all minorities as well. Um, to have that safe haven of four years, maybe five or six years for some, to really believe in yourself, to encourage in a top-notch environment in the classroom and outside. I'm glad you went to that explanation because a lot of us, um, you know, who tune into the show, um, we know Howard University, we hear about Hampton University, we hear about some of the other HBCUs, you, but um, I guess unless, I mean, a lot of us actually are not familiar with North Carolina A&T, or some people don't even know what A&T actually stands for. So I'm glad that you actually explained that and talked about its rich culture, but also its prestige among the um, HBCU, I guess, world. Correct. Yes. Okay. And so I guess I kind of want to stay on this topic a little bit since that's primarily what we're going to um, discuss is this HBCU experience. Um, I know right now we're in this, this era, right, I guess, or this season with, you know, racial tensions being as high as they are. Um, you know, I hear a lot of Black parents actually saying that they are now looking to send their children to historically Black universities. It might not have been something that was on their radar before, but there's like a need for, you know, connection and there's a need for this, uh, this um, sense of just Blackness in every aspect of one's life. And with you being a graduate of an HBCU, um, I just want you to talk a little bit about what your HBCU experience was and what kind of led you to that. Because right now, you know, students, I mean, school has already started, but again, with everything going on, there are a lot of parents and there are students wondering, you know, um, if an HBCU might be the best place for them, you know, just, you know, physically, spiritually, you know, morally, you know, in, in, in every sense. Um, so if you could just maybe talk a little bit about that. Okay, will too. And I'm actually going to approach this in a different way mm -hmm. that I think I more so experience or appreciate my experience now rather than when I was going through it. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there's the saying of, you know, kind of you look back and you can kind of see the, the strands that brought you to where you are today. And so 
more so today, you know, maybe in the midst of COVID and things, having that time of reflection that my HBCU experience was definitely a, a marker within my life that I didn't fully know at that time. Okay. And so how I came to know about North Carolina A&T was due to my family. So I do have um, many individuals in my life um, in terms of aunts, cousins, uncles, and even my father, who all attended A&T. And I think we actually won a tailgate competition some years ago about the number of people in our family um, that were graduates or had attended. So I was somewhat exposed to it in that regard, but I'm an only child and I grew up across the country in California. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't ever present. So my initial steps to pursue a HBCU was somewhat out of, you know, my own struggle of being a black woman in a non-black space. Um, Growing up in schools that weren't, were few or far between of individuals who looked like me, who had shared cultural experiences or just um, my own exposure to what that was. Um, And so, you know, kind of, When you're in your adolescent years, you do have a lot of strife between young women or different things. And so I kind of looked to my cousins, to my aunts and said, you know, they've become great people. They've done great things in their respective communities. I'm going to give this a chance um, to do something different. And for four years, I'm going to learn more about who it is that I am. And so that's really what thrust me personally into the HBCU space and specifically at North Carolina A&T. And again, I would not regret it because starting from freshman year, really orientation, it was jumping right in and meeting people that had my same story or, you know, opened my eyes to the diversity of what it means to be Black. You know, in high school, you have your your quote-unquote skater kids, Mm -hmm. your jocks, you know, the different, you know, subsets of people, but we had all of that at A&T within our culture, you know, people who, you know, various economic backgrounds, exposure, you know, coming from private schools, public schools, rural cities, you all kind of culminated and were able to have such a unique experience, again, in the classroom, but also outside of the classroom that was just filled with love. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll pause there. Okay. So the question, so I did not attend um, an HBCU. I attended what, you know, they call the predominantly white institutions, the PWIs. Um, mm-hmm. And so a lot of students or a lot of, you know, I guess students who were uh, individuals who went to uh, predominantly white institutions, um, I guess, always had this idea that um, HBCUs kind of resembled what we saw um, in a different world or, you know, what we saw in some of these other TV shows that, you know, um, showcased, you know, um, students at black colleges. Now, is was your experience at the time anything similar to what we've seen in these shows? I would definitely say there's some resemblance in various, you know, episodes and things of, the community and somewhat of the culture. So, mm-hmm. you know, going back to my freshman year, I'm still friends with a lot of those same young women who were in the dorms with me. Mm-hmm. You know, they started businesses or built families, but in the dorms, it was, you know, playing cards or 
learning different line dances in the hallways um, or, you know, consoling each other. So we became our own community specifically. You know, I was in Mora Hall, third floor. Um, and so you kind of, even with that, you know, we had our own thing. There was dorm step offs um, mm-hmm. when I was there. So you, it was just a loving community. Okay. I, yeah. I, yeah. A loving community. So it definitely resembles that, but there was still lots of study halls. So based on the courses that you took, I remember, you know, being in the library with a group of individuals after for our statistics exams or sharing knowledge of, you know, you know, you learn it, you could read it, you could teach it being the highest level of consumption. So we would teach each other different components. So we really worked together as a team um, in various ways, or even to the point of becoming a member of Delta Sigma Theta after crossing, I had an extension of family that had family or lives across the country. So I remember, you know, doing a road trip from Greensboro all the way to New York on a whim. I mean, so having those different experiences, but relationships. So I think that exuded in the forms of the TV shows uh, are, are similar. In that okay. regard. Now, the other question I wanted to ask is that um, there are many who shy away from the idea of going to a historically Black institution because they feel that it's not reflective of the real world, which, you know, has white people, Asian people, people of all different types of, of races, creeds, cultures, etc. Do you feel as if um, attending, you know, the HBCU prepared you for what you know the, they consider the real world that you know is not what you see in your everyday classroom which is not what you see on campus every day i would say absolutely yes so at the core of the this real world that we live in is diversity mm-hmm. inclusion and understanding people from wherever they are and by attending hbc at least from my experience was able to fortify who you are and your own abilities. So by kind of eliminating the distractions, which could be, you know, if I'm in a classroom and I'm the only African-American woman, well, am I representing my entire demographic? And so is there a fearfulness of raising your hand or speaking out or being ostracized by your comments or your point of view because there isn't that level of understanding? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that allows you to have that confidence and the ability to truly just learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of one from one aspect, but also in terms of our teachers are still exceptional. The education that I learned in my, in the business school is comparable. When I went to grad school, those same concepts came up and I excelled um, or even in the workplace of being able to bring those same topics or, um, edu- that education, the top of mind, has been unbelievable of really, truly understanding that our education is top nine, top top nine, and could go against any others. And in terms of recruiting, um, because there are currently still initiatives with the need to increase the diversity in the workplace, HBCUs are heavily recruited. Um, and have great experiences. So when I was um, a junior, I'm thinking correctly, 
um, I had the experience to have an internship in Minnesota. So exposure to getting those top-notch organizations on your resume early and that level of experience um, that is more highly competitive at other institutions. Um, and quite frankly, minorities are typically overlooked the bigger the college is for these types of similar opportunities. So um, I would say go for it. Of course, everyone is different. If you, you know, if funding is an issue, I do kind of understand from that standpoint, but I would still fully advocate for anyone attending the HBCU. Okay. And I'm glad that you characterize it as such, because I know that just from the conversations I've had with friends and with, you know, um, soon to be um, high school graduates who are wondering, you know, where should they go? What should they do? Are HBCUs um, something that, you know, they should start looking at? I think, I think what you said about, um, you know, the recruitment aspect, especially, I think is really, really important because, it is true, I think, at some of these larger um, non-HBCU um, schools, Black people or Black students, you know, could easily be overlooked for positions. And so I think that that's a very critical point right there is that um, we are living in a world of, you know, where diversity and inclusion is at the forefront. That's what every company is looking to achieve. And so where would you get, you know, the cream of the crop, um, diverse bodies from, you know, um, from schools that are not predominantly white. So I think that's really a great point to make for anybody who is listening and is wondering whether it be for themselves or for their children, um, whether an HBCU is, you know, the right way to go. I think that that's a very, um, those are very good points that you made. Yeah. And in terms of even the research, in terms of the impact of what your education is, um, I know a lot of my friends who are in the engineering department had great relationships with their professors to do um, assistantships or to do, you know, research during their undergraduate years. And, the amount of money that's being poured into HBCUs to understand our demographic, to push the needle when it comes to science and technology um, is, is phenomenal. And even recently um, there was an announcement of a million dollars being committed by Bank of America um, towards racial, racial equality and economic opportunities. So again, the funds and the opportunities are, are present with HBCUs. Okay. So now I know that there is a book that is coming out soon called The HBCU Experience, North Carolina A&T State University, second edition. I know that was a mouthful. <laughs> yes. But if you, if you can talk about this book, like what is this book? Um, what is it about? And, you know, where, where and when can we expect to see it? Yeah, so this, The HBCU Experience is the bread, the, um, birth of Ashley Little and many others who um, have really saw the fit, the need to expand and for us as alumni to tell our own stories. And so this is, again, the second edition for North Carolina A&T State University of us doing exactly that, having more voices rise to the table of sharing our experiences of why did we attend what has the institution been able to afford us to do in our in the workplace or to build entrepreneur um, businesses? And so just to, again, kind of how we had a conversation shortly ago of encouraging others and telling, 
you know, the next generation, why we need to continue to uplift these sacred spaces um, for the next 100, 200, and so on years. Okay. So the book will be coming out the end of this month. So we're getting closer to the launch date. It will be available on Amazon. Of course, if you follow us on all various platforms, um, you will be able to find links to purchase as well. Okay. And what are some of these platforms that we can find you on? Like, are you on Instagram? Is there like a website or Twitter? Yes. So personally, I am at, it's Krista Da, so but Chris underscore T-A underscore D-A um, on Instagram and Twitter. Okay. Or you can also follow my business account, which is Eclectic Read. The last C is a K. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. Okay, great. Um, but then the whole movement, I'll give you there. That um, Instagram page is the HBCU Experience Movement. So um, you can Google that and follow um, the HBCU Experience Movement. Yeah, I'm really excited to have had this conversation because, um, again, you know, right now I feel like the this I this talk of HBCUs is starting to resurface amongst um, those of us who didn't really grow up with um, any real knowledge of what HBCUs were. Like myself, I'm Haitian American and my mother came to this country when she was close to 40. (laughs) And so, you know, there was no real, uh, we didn't really know what HBCUs really were. We were just told to go, we need to go to school. We need to go to college. That's that. I remember mm. growing up watching Different World and watching, you know, the Cosby show. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. But it still never really kind of set in. You know, in my mind, I think it was, oh, this is TV. This is television. I did not really know that there were actually schools that resembled what I was, you know, seeing on um on television. So, uh, you know, I, I really like the fact that this, you know, this book is really out here sharing the experiences of various individuals who did attend the school um, in hopes of, you know, I don't want to say convincing, but just really shedding light as to what really happens at HBCUs, you know, how uh, these institutions have changed their lives, how they've set their lives up. I think these stories are very, very critical, uh, particularly at a time where we're seeing a lot of disrespect happening to, you know, Black students um, at various institutions, you know, all over the country. Um, And to know that there's a home, there's a place where you will be treated with, you know, dignity, um, I think is just so welcoming. Yes, and there's definitely been more jumping, I guess, if you will, back to our roots in terms of historically black colleges um, with athletes who have you know, been declaring that they're going to be committed to HBCUs and specifically A&T um, recently. So I'm very pleased, grateful to be a part of this edition of the HBCU experience and seeing you know, the future of where HBCUs youth could continue to move the country because um, as you know Kamala Harris is even a grad of HBCUs and many um, top executives and different things within all industries there's at least one person who had a degree from an HBCU 
Yes. I mean, I've been fortunate to have several of my friends um, and colleagues, esteemed colleagues, um, you know, graduate from HBCUs at all levels. So not just, you know, undergrad, but graduate schools, law schools, dentistry schools. Um, it's just, you know, I think it's just, it's really beautiful to see that, um, you know, these institutions are flourishing and producing such quality, quality individuals. Um, I know that there was a conversation I had with somebody uh, randomly a couple of weeks ago, interestingly enough, with respect to the concept of historically Black universities. And the the statement was more so, you know, I they understood why historically Black universities were set up. Um, but now that we are in, you know, I guess... 2020, we're in this 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 more progressive era. I think their their statement or question rather was, do we still need historically black universities because black people are now able to attend, you know, um, I guess predominantly white institutions. Um, but I guess for all of the reasons that you described, um, you know, in this conversation, it's it's very important and it seems like it's necessary even now more than ever. Yes, and I, I can't I can't let you leave on that moment. I do have to touch on that because mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of HBCUs, so yes, that we at one time we were not afforded the opportunity to. So that's what the birth of these institutions came from. Mm-hmm. But we are the ones who could best tell our stories. We're yeah. the ones who could best nurture each other. Um, you know, which Notre Dame is a Catholic mm-hmm. Irish. You know, there's other institutions that are focused on certain entities. You know, Brigham Young is focused on, you know, the Mormon, um, the Mormon faith. Mm-hmm. So if other institutions could still exist, there's still a need for our institutions to focus on the Black community, to fortify us, to tell our stories from our own perspectives, right? Because many times, even in my um, political science courses, my professors were helping to write the books, that making sure that the history of, you know, the A&T 4, um, Little Rock 9, et cetera, are in our curriculum and being educated to, you know, the Black teachers who are going to go into the classrooms across the country. Um, so making sure our stories are told and that we still support who supported us when we had no other options. And I think that's a very great point. And I'm glad that you ended the point <laughs> that on that point, because it's true. I don't think a lot of people realize that or at least pay attention to the fact that there are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of institutions across the country that do focus on religion or focus on, you know, a particular uh, sect, like you said, Notre Dame. Um, and so I think that it is important when we are, when we, when that, I guess that conversation does come up or in that rhetoric um, is is out there that, you know, we can, you know, in a sense, I guess, reel it back and just remind people that there are institutions out there that that are essentially, um, you know, still, um, still, I guess, operating um, in, in a way that, you know, like I think I, one school that came up to mind, I think it's Brandeis University. Um, it was a, it's a, it's a school that's predominantly Jewish school. I think I know they're, they're open to everyone. But it, they were created because uh, Jew- Jewish individuals were, you know, not able or not afforded the opportunity to attend mainstream schools. And Brandeis University is still a school that's in operation today. It still, um, you know, is is more so um, 
I guess, Jewish um, in essence, but it is open to the public. So to your point, you know, there are many institutions out there that are still operating um, that, you know, were created for one purpose, but are still, you know, fulfilling their mission and their, their goal each and every day. Yeah, indeed. So again, I'm a full proponent for HBCUs and to anyone listening, definitely look into North Carolina A&T State University, the number one public HBCU in the country. And on that note, <laughs> thank you so much, Krista, for taking the time to share your experience and to tell us a little about who you are. I think, um, you know, especially as a woman of color who is an entrepreneur, it's just really important for us to hear that as well, too, particularly in a time like now, um, where, you know, a lot of women who are tuning in are probably feeling a little down on their luck. Um, and are really just looking for inspiration, um, you know, from other women. So thank you so much for just taking the time to even be on this show today. Thank you. Thank you. And again, don't forget, you know, check out my chapter in the book that's coming out in just a few weeks. So the end of September, HBC Experience, the second edition for North Carolina A&T. Um, look out for it soon on Amazon. All right. And with that being said, everyone, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Frida's World. It's your girl, Rita Pierre, your host, and we will talk to you guys next week. It's Frida's World. Classy and ratchet at the same time. You clash it. Like you love church music, but you f with future. That's clash it. It's Frida's World.